When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Hannah Up? Hannah Emily Up grew up in a small town in Oregon. Her mother and father were both Methodist ministers. They divorced when Hannah was 15 years old. Hannah's father was very strict about his religious beliefs. Hannah struggled with this as she had an interest in women. After going to college, she dated a woman. So this put her at odds with her father. Hannah eventually moved to Hamilton Heights in Manhattan. She taught Spanish at Thurgood Marshall Academy in Harlem. Hannah went for a jog along Riverside Drive on August 28, 2008. When she didn't report to work on the first day of school, her friends became concerned. Her roommate discovered that Hannah left behind her cell phone, wallet, and identification. Hannah was picked up on surveillance video in an Apple store. She was wearing red shorts and a black sports bra. She can be seen interacting with a man who stopped her and asked if she was the missing teacher in the news. She denied being herself. After this, she used one of the laptops in the store to log into her email account, but she did not send or read any messages. Two days later, she was spotted at a Starbucks in Soho. She walked out of the back door before the police arrived. The police reported that she had been seen at five different New York sports clubs, all of them near Midtown. People suspected that she was using those clubs to take a shower. On September 16, at 11.50 a.m., the captain of the Staten Island Ferry spotted Hannah in the water near Robins Reef, which is south of the Statue of Liberty. She was face down and wearing red shorts and a black bra. Two deckhands took a skiff out and pulled her from the water. She was still alive, much to their surprise. She was taken to a hospital on Staten Island. She was suffering from dehydration, hypothermia, and had severe sunburn on the left side of her body. For three weeks, she claimed she had no memory about herself, but then, all of a sudden, she was able to give the staff details about her identity. When she physically recovered, she was sent to a mental health facility. Tests revealed that there was no neurological condition that could explain her loss of memory. They concluded that she had a rare mental disorder called 
dissociative fugue. This disorder is characterized by someone losing their memory and going on a journey. It's believed that trauma is responsible for activating the symptoms in most cases. Hannah couldn't remember anything about a traumatic event, so it was a mystery as to what could have happened. Some people accused Hannah of creating a hoax. Hannah was released from the hospital. She followed up with mental health counselors, but didn't really want to focus on what happened. She really didn't work through all the issues. Instead, she wanted to move forward with her life. She felt as though her experiences were being distorted to fit with a diagnostic profile for dissociative fugue. People with this disorder often form new identities during the time the symptoms are active, so there's an overlap with dissociative identity disorder, DID. But Hannah did not feel that way. She felt like her identity had been missing until she was discovered in the water. So she wasn't living with another identity. She had no identity. It was like her personality vanished for a time. Hannah traveled to a retreat for Quakers near Philadelphia and worked there for three years. She then moved to Kensington, Maryland to work as a teacher. On the morning of her first class, Hannah didn't show up. A co-worker who was driving to the school saw Hannah walking vigorously in the wrong direction. The police found her wallet, cell phone, and purse on a trail in the woods in Kensington. They realized no one had talked to Hannah for the previous 24 hours. At 10.30 p.m. the next day, Hannah borrowed a stranger's phone and called her mother. Hannah had woken up, so to speak, in a creek in Wheaton, Maryland. There was a shopping cart next to her. She felt as though she had been in some type of trance and then snapped out of it. She had been walking for more than two days. When looking through her history of text messages, it appears as though these symptoms came on gradually. She remembered some of the early messages, but not those she sent later. Some of the ones in between she remembered parts of. So again, it was like she was gradually moving into some type of trance. This incident was quite similar to the first one. Both occurred on the first day of the school year when Hannah was supposed to be teaching and both involved ending up in the water. The next year, Hannah changed jobs again. This time she took a job as a teaching assistant in a school in St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands. After she taught there for a year, they sent her to training in Portland, Oregon. Hannah was now certified to run her own class. So I guess she was promoted from assistant to regular teacher. Hurricane Irma hit St. Thomas on September 6, 2017, a week after Hannah started her fourth year of teaching in that location. On September 12, Hannah drove to the house of her ex-boyfriend, only to realize that he had already left to board a cruise ship. The ship was being used for evacuation, not for a cruise. I doubt that cruise lines would run a cruise during a hurricane because of the whole idea of everybody on the ship being wiped out in a massive disaster. Hannah drove to the marina and caught up with her ex-boyfriend as he was waiting in line to board. They talked for several hours. He would later say that she looked as though she had not slept in a while. After leaving the marina, Hannah never used her phone again. The next day, she helped a co-worker prepare the school for the next storm, Hurricane Maria. Her co-worker found her mannerisms unusual. She wasn't talkative when normally she would have been. During a discussion that night, Hannah's roommates told her that they were going to try to leave the island. Hannah insisted on staying. On the morning of September 14, one of her roommates watched Hannah climb into her vehicle at about 8 a.m. to go for a swim. This was the last time she was seen. 
her colleagues at the school started to become worried when she didn't show up for a staff meeting on September 15. The authorities searched for three days, but Hurricane Maria was bearing down, so the search was discontinued. Another search was initiated after the storm had passed, but Hannah was never found. Hannah's vehicle was found in a parking lot at Sapphire Beach. Her wallet, identification cell phone, and cash were inside the vehicle. Her sandals and sundress were found on a bar stool nearby. Just like her first two disappearances, this one occurred in the beginning of a school year. Many people assume that Hannah made her way to the water, just like she did the first two times. Now moving to my analysis. Dissociative fugue, like all dissociative disorders, is quite controversial in the mental health treatment community. Many clinicians are not convinced it exists. We don't see the same level of disagreement as we see with dissociative identity disorder, but pretty close, because dissociative fugue often involves the presence of another personality. It wanders into that same controversial issue around the idea that people can have multiple identities. Is that really possible? As I mentioned, Hannah said that her situation was more like her personality was missing during the fugue, which actually contradicts the diagnosis. Research tells us that mental health clinicians believe less in dissociation as they spend more time in the field. So we see a number of reasons where doubt could be created as to this diagnosis. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Amy. And hi, hi true, true crime, crime fans. fans. We're the co-hosts of She Goes by Jane. Every week, we'll be covering the story of a missing or unidentified woman in the United States. Stories you may have heard before. And ones whose stories didn't make it into the news. We've been covering these stories for a while, first in Amy's book of poetry, Doe, and then in Vanessa's documentary, She. But now we want to share them with you here on She Goes by Jane. And each week we'll be joined by a special guest who will read a poem in honor of the women we talk about. Can we say who? We can say who. We'll be joined by actresses like Coco Jones and Gabrielle Ruiz. And musicians like Stephanie Quayle and Kelly Moneymaker along with authors like Louise Penny and Catherine McKenzie. So check out She Goes by Jane wherever you get your podcasts, or check out Evergreen Podcasts and their true crime channel, Killer Podcasts. We can't wait to bring you these stories. Let's take a look at the diagnosis of dissociative fugue. This diagnosis is actually a specifier in another diagnosis called dissociative amnesia. So if somebody has dissociative fugue, technically their diagnosis would be dissociative amnesia with dissociative fugue. There are four diagnostic criteria for dissociative amnesia, an inability to recall important autobiographical information, the symptoms cause clinically significant distress, the symptoms are not caused by substance use or a neurological condition, and the disturbance cannot be better explained by DID, PTSD, somatic symptom disorder, or neurocognitive disorder. If somebody meets those criteria, they may be diagnosed with dissociative amnesia, but to get to the specifier for dissociative fugue, an additional criterion is required, apparently purposeful travel or bewildered wandering. So essentially, dissociative fugue is someone who has dissociative amnesia 
and then takes a trip. Over the years, there have been a few examples of situations that could be explained by dissociative fugue. There was a reverend from Minnesota who traveled across the United States and enlisted in the Navy. There was a story about a deacon in New Jersey who, after being missing for four years, woke up one day and didn't recognize the room he was living in. There was a professor who went missing for three years. He was found working as a dishwasher. And then we see one of the most famous cases. This was of Ansel Bourne. He was likely the inspiration for the Jason Bourne character from movies like The Bourne Identity. On January 17, 1887, Ansel, who was a preacher, traveled where he lived in Rhode Island to Norristown, Pennsylvania. He set up a store there selling candy. On March 14, he woke up and had no memory of his journey. He thought it was still January. He returned to Rhode Island and resumed his life. I find it interesting how being a minister is overrepresented in the examples. Perhaps there is something about that career choice that makes people want to run away and find another career. Like they're thinking to themselves, I really just wish I could sell candy. Now looking specifically at the situation with Hannah Up. She was officially diagnosed with dissociative amnesia with dissociative fugue, which may or may not be relevant depending on whether the disorder exists in reality. Again, this is hotly debated. Assuming this is a real disorder, there are several commonalities shared among the fugue states that she had. For example, she did not use her cell phone 24 hours before she vanished. The fugue states occurred at the beginning of the school year. She ended up in the water with the first two, and it seems likely she did for the third based on where her belongings were discovered. The disappearance in 2008 and 2013 occurred not long after she returned from traveling with her father abroad. We see a few other curious items evident in Hannah's condition. She was unable to identify any trauma that may have led to the symptoms. She didn't really seem to act with a lot of purpose, like she didn't build a new life as other people have. Rather, she just kind of gravitated toward water. She was not frightened by the disorder. Mental health clinicians said she would most likely never have another fugue after the first one. They didn't appear to be correct. It doesn't sound like Hannah was even sure she had dissociative fugue. She thought of it more as a religious experience. She believed her symptoms transcended the clinician's understanding. Moving to the next question, what happened in this case? What explains Hannah's behavior? I'll go through the possible theories and give my opinion. Theory number one, Hannah had dissociative fugue. In addition to the diagnosis being exceedingly rare, her expression of the disorder was quite unusual in that she appeared to lack identity or purpose and had no history of trauma. Theory number two, some other mental disorder explained her behavior. Many clinicians believe that dissociative disorders are better explained by personality pathology, like borderline, or a disorder related to psychosis, like brief psychotic disorder. Another possibility is bipolar disorder. It can lead to psychosis and it has been associated with not sleeping due to mania. Again, her ex-boyfriend said that it appeared as though she had not slept in a while before disappearing in 2017. Theory number three, Hannah simply behaved in a way that she did because that's what she chose to do. There was no psychopathology. Sometimes when people behave in a certain way, it's because they selected that behavior. Essentially, she could have been malingering, like she was making it up, or engaging in self-deception, like she needed to believe that a disorder explained her behavior. Theory number four, in 2008, Hannah was actually trying to bring an end to her own life. 
When she was found and taken to the hospital, she did not want to admit what she had done. This led clinicians to diagnosing her with dissociative fugue. In 2013, she disappeared to reinforce that conclusion, or maybe it was another attempt. In 2017, she followed through with her original goal. When weighing all the evidence, how would I rank these theories from most to least probable? I would say that theory number three is the most likely. She was acting that way on purpose, perhaps due to self-deception. Here are the reasons for my selection. Whenever a person does something, most of the time, it's because they intended to do it. Most complex human behavior is intentional. The burden of proof here would be on somebody asserting that she had no idea what she was doing, that her behavior was automatic. I find it remarkable that the fugue would appear right at the beginning of the school year on all three occasions, which coincided with when Hannah would return to work, although increased stress could explain that. It seems very unusual that all three fugue states would involve water. During the 2008 fugue, Hannah survived in New York with no money and no identification. This required some sense of purpose. She denied being the missing teacher when she was confronted in the Apple store. It seems strange that she wouldn't have said she didn't know or had no answer at all. Denial is a specific action to achieve a purpose. She almost drowned in New York City. How would the dissociative fugue override her natural desire to survive? There's no evidence of the disorder functioning that way in other people. Hannah did not promote the idea that she had dissociative fugue, which is very different than many people who were diagnosed with a similar disorder, DID. She viewed this more as a spiritual journey. So she wasn't really promoting her disorder. She wasn't proud to have it or showing it off. Again, we see this quite often with DID, which is why many people believe that DID is not a real disorder, rather that it is iotrogenic, that is, clinicians cause it by giving clients the idea. After theory number three, I would go with theory number two, some other mental disorder was at work, then theory number one, dissociative fugue, and then I put theory number four as the least probable. She brought an end to her own life. Moving to the next question, if this was a dissociative fugue state, how could Hannah have kept herself safe? After the 2013 fugue in Maryland, the police suggested that she wear an ankle bracelet, just like some people who are on probation. It seems a little harsh, but it's actually a good idea. Hannah refused. She did not want to be defined by her condition. She wanted freedom. In New York City, she did develop a code word to use with her roommate so that her roommate could check and see if Hannah was in a fugue. It's not clear if that system would really be effective, but at least we see an effort to try to identify the beginning of a fugue state. Other than that, Hannah didn't really take any precautions. Again, I think the ankle bracelet idea was pretty good. I think having some type of tracking device on her person would have been critical. Considering she left her cell phone behind each time, maybe she could have worn some type of device that would have detected when the phone was getting too far away from her and would send out an alert with her location. I think the least that should have been done would be making sure that she's with other people for the first few months of the school year. That appeared to be a dangerous time for her. Moving to my final thoughts, any case that has a connection to a dissociative disorder is going to be controversial. But I think the bottom line is, whatever happened in this case, it ended tragically for Hannah. Whether it was a disorder, a personality difficulty, intentional behavior, the result was the same. There's always a lot of emphasis on identifying disorders for explaining why someone behaved the way they did. 
I think in this case, the focus should have been preventing the behavior in the future, regardless of what caused it. If Hannah did not go off on her own, she would have been safe. Bewildered wandering is a dangerous activity, and although maybe the world of mental health diagnosing is poorly equipped to handle it, other technology was available to prevent it from occurring. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.